0: You're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology.
1: Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows, such as Black Mirror and the upcoming Jordan Peele Twilight Zone reboot, that by the time this episode airs will have already started, so <laughs> ignore that. Um, I do those in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology, as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Pod, Tweet me at OV Anthology Pod or send an email to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. Today I'll be discussing 22. It's the 17th episode of the Twilight Zone's second season, and it aired on February 10th, 1961. Um, so yeah, so before I get into my review and everything, I don't really have much uh, in, in terms of updates or anything. Um, I'm currently doing the Twilight Zone 2019, uh, bonus episode review series. Um, that should hopefully be going fine. (laughs) I'm recording this ahead of time, ahead of that, uh, series starting. So I'm banking some episodes and then, and then we're going to kind of be doing the bonus episodes, um, while I have these episodes already recorded. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. Super excited for that at this time. Um, yeah, so let's just go ahead and dig into the episode. I'm going to go ahead and read a plot description courtesy of Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. Uh, I'm going to be spoiling all of 22, uh, so if you haven't seen the episode, please go check it out and then come back and listen to my review. So here we go with the plot description of 22. Elizabeth Powell, a stage dancer by profession, has spent the past weeks at a sanitarium for rest and relaxation. Maybe it is her nerves, but she claims that every evening she has the same recurring nightmare without any variation. In her dream, she wakes to break a glass of water on the floor. hears footsteps outside her room and follows someone to the elevator. Downstairs by the door of the morgue, labeled room 22, she is greeted by a strange woman with a crazy smile who tells Miss Powell, room for one more, honey. Her doctor suggests she attempt to vary the routine in her dream to prevent the same fates from happening, believing she would be cured after one good night's rest. She makes a faithful attempt but first but finds herself repeating the same scenes as the night before. After checking out of the sanitarium the next day, Miss Powell is ex escorted to <laughs> escorted that's the word uh is escorted to the airport by her agent, where she books a one way nonstop flight to Miami on flight twenty two. Staring out a window, she's having a sense of deja vu, reproducing most of the scenes from her dream, including dropping a glass glass and taking a long walk down to the airplane. Before getting in, the stewardess steps out, the same woman from Powell's dream, and remarks, Room for one more, honey. Miss Powell screams and runs back to the airport. While her agent and the airport staff comfort her, they watch with horror as the plane takes off and bursts into flames. Starring in this episode as Liz Powell is Barbara Nichols. This was her only episode of The Twilight Zone, and she was normally a comedic actress, um, from what I can understand. And she played; a, she was kind of typecast into a lot of kind of playgirl roles and um, kind of bimboy roles, I guess. Um, so this was an interesting dramatic turn for her, even though it's kind of still within her. Uh, within her established uh, uh, typecast, I guess um, some trivia about her is that in 1957 there was she was in a serious car crash on, on Long Island, um, and that led to her losing her spleen, and then another serious car accident in Southern California in ni- in the 1960s led to a torn liver. Um, so for for over a decade she had complications from that, um, and that kind of caused her to slow down her career and everything and she eventually developed a liver disease and um, passed away in uh, 1976 at the age of 47. Um, So that's pretty sad. Um, Playing the doctor in this episode is Jonathan Harris. Uh, This is his first of two Twilight zones uh, next is the silence which is here in a handful of weeks uh, he was also in one episode of Night gallery in 1971 in a segment called since aunt Ada came to stay and he did a lot of voice acting uh, throughout his career and and worked with Pixar and a few things um, I'm sure I'll talk about that when I talk about the silence Fred Wayne plays Barney uh, Liz's agent that's kind of uh, kind of overdoes it a little bit for my taste but that's neither here nor there or, or I'll get to that in a second but first this is his first of two Twilight Zone episodes the next we'll see if him is The Arrival uh he was also uncredited in Se- uh, Seven Days in May which was written by Serling uh the plot of that I'm, I'm really anxious to see that movie at some point um maybe if I bring back the bonus reviews on the podcast I'll uh, do a bonus review for that but um, plot of that is United States military leaders plot to overthrow the president because he supports a nuclear disarmament, uh, disarmament, uh, treaty and they fear a Soviet sneak attack. Uh, rounding out Fred Wayne is an episode of, he was in one episode of one step beyond another sci-fi anthology series, of course, in 1960, that episode was titled vanishing point. And then rounding out the cast is Arlene Martell as the night nurse and uh, stewardess. Uh, this is her second of two Twilight Zone episodes. She played uh, the girl in the bar in the episode What You Need. And she was also in one episode of The Outer Limits in 1964 uh, titled Demon with a Glass Hand. Uh, she's most well known for her role as Spock's Vulcan bride in Amok Time on the original Star Trek, of course. Uh, writer for this episode was rod serling based on an anecdote from famous ghost stories 1961 by bennett serf uh who that was his only writing credit uh he was the publisher and founder of random house and according to uh unlocking the door to a television classic the episode itself originated from uh from bennett serf uh, giving a gracious gift to serling after uh serling and his family hosted uh Surf and his family on, on, at their home. Um, so he had sent, uh, Bennett Surf had sent the Serlings, uh, kind of a care package for beginner books and, uh, latest Dr. Seuss release. And this was back in 1959. And, uh, among the books that he said, that he sent was an anthology of ghost stories for, for Rod. And one of those short stories was the, uh, half of the inspiration for this episode. The other half was from uh, Mrs. Peter D. Matthews of Needham, Massachusetts. She had written to Serling on July 26th. Uh, and sent uh, a couple clippings from the July 25th issue of the Boston Sunday Herald uh, in that there was a story of this construction worker who uh, was uh, basically shook hands with a few of the um, his, his co-workers and just said that it, he told them that he would be dead before Wednesday and uh, a uh, t- hundred, uh, according to this, a hundred and twenty-foot crane smashed down on Decatur Street in East Boston, killing three men, including the man who predicted his own death. So, kind of the combination of the the ghost story in the anthology that he received and the newspaper clipping from Mrs. Matthews. Of Needham, Massachusetts, kind of led to the inspiration for this episode of the Twilight Zone. And director for this episode was Jack Smite. This is his last of four Twilight Zone episodes that he directed. The previous one we saw from him is the Night of the Meek. And uh, as I did last time, uh, I'm going to go ahead and rank the four episodes that he directed. Um, at number four is the lateness of. Uh, at number four is the lateness of the hour. At number three is twenty two. At number two is the Night of the Meek, and number one is the Lonely. Um, it's kind of a shame that Jack Smite kind of got sidled with uh, three of of his four of his four episodes. Three of them are shot on videotape. That's kind of a shame. Um, so that rounds out the cast and crew for 22. Um, I'm going to go ahead and dive into my, what I, my feelings as a first time viewer of the episode. Uh, once again, I'm going to be spoiling it again. So feel free to, uh, watch the episode any way you can what I knew before going into 22 was nothing at all. Um, I literally knew nothing about this episode. Um, I had no idea what the number 22 could possibly signify. I thought that maybe it might have something to do with time travel or gambling. That was kind of my, my kind of, uh, Swing for the fences was, it was about gambling. I thought maybe a character was playing blackjack and gets a 22 and busts or something. I was kind of grasping at straws with that. Um, so I was wrong, but to go into my actual thoughts, uh, my initial thought when the episode started was that aside from being, uh, shot on videotape clearly was that the set reminded me a lot of Eye of the Beholder. Um, there was just a woman in a hospital bed. Kind of reminded me of that kind of thing. Um, I liked the ominous way that the, the the episode kind of draws us into the um, dream sequence. We get the ticking clock, we get the glass of water, and we see her. We see Liz just kind of clutching a stuffed animal, and then the uh, the way that the glass breaks when it drops, it just completely stops the ticking and everything. And that that kind of that visual cue kind of made me think that maybe it might be a time travel episode but clearly I was wrong. Um, So yeah, so I just really liked the way that the show established the sense that something was very wrong and that things weren't as they seemed. Um, And it was interesting to me because right off the bat, I kind of thought like this, this episode seemed like an interesting companion to season one's uh, Perchance to Dream. Um, Both episodes kind of featured someone who was experiencing very uh, traumatic and uh, alarming dreams that were, had a sense of foreboding to them. Um, In Liz Powell's case, she was being warned and being, uh, you know, alerted to something. Whereas the character in Perchance to Dream was being hunted down by his dreams. And uh, yeah, there was something in that opening sequence, there was something really unsettling about just an empty hospital. Like there's, there's a couple of corridors that just feel like just ominous the way that they're completely empty. Like it's clearly the middle of the night and it kind of, there's just this unsettling uh, thing about it. Like there's no nurses wandering around or there's not a nurse's station or anything. It's just a desolate hallway. And when, when Liz gets down to the basement where the morgue is, it just gets even more kind of chilling. Like it's a very cold feeling that I feel like even though it's shot on videotape and the video, the, 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 um, the quality of the video isn't that strong, it still felt like it was uh, just cold. Like, it got the point across really well, and I think that that's a good um, kind of feather in the cap of the set design and uh, probably some of Jack Smite's directing as well. Um, So I was just wondering throughout this whole opening sequence, like, why was she going to the morgue? Like, I didn't understand uh, quite at first that it was necessarily a nightmare or dream sequence at first. I knew that something was off, but I didn't understand why she was going and going like what was drawing her into the morgue. Um, but once the nurse comes out and says room for one more, honey, that was like, that was really, really creepy and, uh, really kind of set the tone for the episode, I think. And then we get Rod's, um, opening, uh, narration, which it which was fine, it was good. Um, I did like that uh, Liz is in the hospital for overwork and nervous fatigue, which kind of uh <laughs> makes me think of how um, actors and actresses go uh, are admitted to the hospital for exhaustion, which I always kind of feel like was a like in I don't know if they really publicized that um, anymore, but like in the 90s kinda of felt like that was just kind of code for like, oh, they have like a drug addiction that they need to get straightened out or uh, some kind of substance in the, some wow, some kind of substance abuse. Uh, but maybe that's just a cynical read of uh, that. Um, so at this point, after we get the introduction and everything, I was curious, like, is this episode going to be like a what's real, what's not kind of thing? Like, Is, it, is the story going to take a tone of that? going to take a turn where we would need to figure out like what's real and what's not. Um, It didn't really go that route, but I did appreciate what, um, what the episode was doing. Um, I did have some confusion. Like I didn't know since, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention at first, but I kind of wondered for a split second, like if the woman in the morgue, if the nurse that she sees, I wondered if that was supposed to be her. But I couldn't. I, obviously, that's not the case. That's just what I had at the start. And so the next day, uh, the doctor comes in, and then Barney, her agent, comes in. And first of all, his kind of whole dynamic with Liz is just depressing. Like I kind of get the sense that he doesn't care about her at all as a person, and it's uh, it's kind of reflective of like the pain of her being a celebrity. I think. Um, I think, I feel like that's what they were going for. That's what I read into it at least, but just the way that he keeps calling her a kitten and it's just very, just positive, like overly positive. And she talks about how he hasn't been there for her or anything. It's just a really bleak and depressing kind of thing. And I didn't like Barney as a character. And I kind of thought that, uh, was it Fred Wayne? Um, I kind of thought that Fred Wayne was a little... I don't know if, I don't know if necessarily that he was over the top or the character was over the top. Um, but I just, I didn't really gel with his, his performance that much. And I might, might very well have been the fact that his character was just so, I don't want to say scuzzy, but just very, just uh, fake and phony. Um, So we get the introduction, well, we get the idea that no one really believes her. She says that outright to Barney. She says that he's the only one that would believe her, and he just kind of writes her off, which is in and of itself depressing and and sad. And then the Doctor comes in, and as a contrast to Fred Wayne's performance as Barney, I kind of felt like Jonathan Harris played the Doctor really pretty well, because it's kind of a mysterious kind of dark portrayal of it. Like, you kind of get the sense that he's kind of evil. Like he's kind of, he's, and I mean, at the end of the day, he doesn't really factor into the plot or anything, or you kind of get this feeling that he, maybe he's a nefarious person in this, in this hospital. And then maybe he's orchestrating things. Um, but really that's just his demeanor. And I feel like that was a really good misdirect and a really good, uh, performance choice by, uh, Jonathan Harris in, in the role here. I think that that was that he handled that pretty well. And it kind of it kind of got misdirected me in a, in a really good way. but I liked the idea that um, that he suggests breaking the routine. Um, I felt like that was a really interesting kind of way but before even before that though I, I kind of skipped ahead I'm <laughs> sorry um, before before all of that, before he gives her the idea to break the uh, routine of the dream, uh, they go through and recount the entire dream from beginning to end. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how I'm back and forth on that. Like, I, on one hand, I really like the ominous tone of it and kind of the dramatic reading of the lines. Um, in the way that Barbara Nichols, uh, delivers her lines when she's recounting the events of the dream is really kind of haunting and really sells the fear and terror that she's experiencing and the confusion even. But. Um, we just saw all of that. (laughs) Like it kind of felt, it it feels really redundant and kind of, it it feels redundant and feels unnecessary to have them recount exactly what, what happened beat for beat. Um, I don't remember if there was an act break or commercial break. Maybe that might be due to, maybe that might be the reason for it. But in an episode that's like 20, 25 minutes long, I feel like that's kind of wasting real estate in terms of time and pacing because it's just, it's reiterating exactly what we saw in the opening scene. But I do like that. They kind of use that to bring the nurse in the real nurse and to show her that the night nurse is, is not who she saw in the morgue. And it's just kind of, it's supposed to be a comforting thing, but she's, you know, obviously in hysterics. Well, I feel like hysterics is a little um, reductive of it, but she's, she's, you know, frightened by it. And then the doctor, at that point, the doctor suggests breaking the routine. And I found that really interesting. I, I liked that idea. It kind of has like this internal logic to it that um, she's going to be free of this whole thing. And I liked how when we get the second dream and she tries to break the routine, everything kind of happens itself. Like she uh, she, she uh, accidentally knocks over the glass and it breaks and then she, it leads her uh leads her down the regular path of the dream. I I like all of that. It kind of feels like it's correcting itself. Like the actual dream itself is correcting itself and by the end of it it's a premonition. So the premonition is correcting correcting itself in order to still warn her and everything. Um so I I, I like that, but I'm also getting ahead of myself again. <laughs> um Uh, to reiterate the doctor being really creepy, like after he tells her to redo the, uh, to, to change, to make a derivation from, uh, or deviation from, from the regular routine of the dream. Uh, he has this really creepy line where he's just like, I think we're on the road to recovery and it's just super creepy and, and it doesn't pay off or anything, but it's a nice misdirect. And I kind of, uh, like it, like the doctor had this really intense way about him. um, I didn't really get it per se. Like he's not in on it or anything. He doesn't come into play later in the episode, but as a misdirect, it was, it was pretty effective. So after the, uh, failed attempt to alter the dream, um, like I, I kind of had a, I had a a theory, I guess. Um, I kind of thought that maybe it was her mind trying to ease her into death. Um, it was either that or to keep her away from it. Um, so I was kind of right. Um and and I kind of like how I kind of like how Liz Pal had kind of an attitude about her like she was she was um she was kind of uh, you know um, I don't know how to characterize it but she was she was kind of not formidable but she was you know she's she's holding her own when she's talking to the doctor and everything and she's she's trying her best not to show that she's Maybe crazy, but aside from that kind of attitude and everything, she's honestly, she's kind of a helpless character. And I think that the, the part of, I think part of that is that she doesn't really have anyone to latch on to or anyone to um, help her out. Like, like I said, Barney is kind of this stand in agent person that's supposed to be a comfort to her. But he just kind of doesn't, you don't get the sense that he really cares about her. And that's pretty much it. And then after this dream, she, um, we, well, we get a scene that's not connected to her. Uh, we see the doctor realizing, or do, the doctor talking to the nurse saying that uh, he he realizes that's when he realizes that she's telling the truth about the dream because it's room 22 and there's no way that she would know that. And at this point, the mystery is pretty deeply buried in the episode. And it was, uh, like, I feel like it had like a bit more nuance to it than like an episode, like the invaders. Um, cause it's more compliment, uh, contemplative. Um, it just kind of, cause instead of like having this outward force, uh, coming after her, she has this otherworldly force that's trying to warn her of her impending death. And like, she's a woman that's troubled by these dreams and visions and the feeling that she must heed them And her confusion kind of drives her mad, but it all comes together in the end. Whereas like an episode like the invaders, it's all kind of based around the kind of twist at the end that, you know, we're actually on a different planet with a giant person. <laughs> um, And it's like there's nothing wrong with that type of storytelling in the Twilight Zone. I just feel like 22 has more of a, like I said, like more of a nuance to it. Kind of at this point, when the doctor is realizing that she had the right room number when she shouldn't have the right room number, like I was kind of, I was along with it. I was really on board with it because I didn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Like I didn't know what could possibly be going on with this, and how 22 could factor in, and how how all of it could could happen, but, uh, but yeah, uh, and that's, that's something that I appreciate in the storytelling of this, of this episode, even if we had like a whole scene that was re- uh, redundant, um, earlier in expositioning, but then it kind of, the episode almost, I don't want to say squanders it, but it's kind of, we're almost at the end of the episode and it kind of, um, suddenly Liz is checking out of the hospital and it doesn't like, I don't, it didn't connect with me or it didn't really uh, resonate with me. Cause it's like, okay, we we have this mystery and we have the realization that she was telling the truth because she knows that room 22 is the room. So I kind of thought like, okay, well we're we're going to get more hospital shenanigans. <laughs> but then suddenly it's like, Oh, I'm checking out. I'm going to go to Florida and everything. And then the doctor is just doubling down on it, just being dreams and everything. And like trying to comfort her. It's like, you you just like like discovered or realized that she has like knowledge that she shouldn't have that's incorporated into these dreams like i get being like i mean like a man of science and not wanting to entertain the thought of anything supernatural or anything but it's still something i think that's worth and maybe worth investigating a little bit um or showing some kind of uh confusion or or some kind of uh attempt to make it a logical thing, but instead we just get him just kind of doubling down on it, just being dreams and all right. Um, so then we, <laughs> we get to the airport and she gets the, she gets the ticket and the teller so, says that it's flight 22. And that was like, that was kind of the moment where I was like, Oh, that's, that's a cool, that's a cool, uh, twist there. Cause it, like in my notes, I have, this was all a premonition. Uh, and then I put the plane will crash and, uh, and then from there, it just goes like she, she starts, she notices all the kind of, uh, the little things here and there. Like she's, she's thirsty. She bumps into the woman who drops the lamp and it shatters the way that the glass shattered in her dream. And then as she's going, uh, going up to the, to the plane, the stewardess comes out and she's the woman from the morgue and she says room for one more, honey. And it's just, it's perfect. Like it's, it's a really well, I don't want to say perfect. Cause I mean, it's just, I mean, it's it's an okay episode, but, um, the way it comes together is pretty pretty well done, I would say. Um, I will also say that just the way that she runs from the from the plane and falls down and trips and then goes into the airport, um, which in trivia, obviously, we'll get to that, but. Um, it's just, it's, it's suspenseful. It's, it's energetic. It's kind of scary. It's, it's a uh, nerve wracking. And then when we see her being comforted in the airport and then the plane just explodes, like granted it's 1961, uh, visual effects and everything, but it's like, it's surprising. Like I was kind of surprised that they went for it. Like it was just an explosion and it was, it was cool. Um, and it reminded me a lot, like, I mean, I'm, I'm 32 guys. (laughs) I'm, I'm 32. I kind of came of age as a moviegoer, as a fan of horror, um, in the late nineties, early two thousands. So like around the time that the first final destination came out, um, I loved it. Like I was a huge fan of final destination in my youth. And the opening scene of that is like the, uh, character has a premonition of, of the plane crash. He gets off the plane with a group of friends and then the plane crashes. And it's kind of, I feel like it, this is one of the cool things about this whole project and going through the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer because I'm seeing these connections that other art has made um, in homage to the Twilight Zone. Like I have to imagine that the that the plane explosion in um, Final Destination is a direct homage to this episode because it's exactly the same. It's just obviously more. Um, bigger budget and everything like in final destination they're in the terminal and then the plane takes off and you see it in the air and then it explodes. And then the glass of the terminal just shatters around them. Um, it's a really cool effect and it's, it's kind of cool that it has to have had its Genesis or its inspiration from this episode of the twilight zone. Um, and so kind of in 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 the end that that whole shot of the plane exploding and and just the the idea of the plane ex- the plane's explosion in and of itself that itself is pretty damn terrifying like i I feel like this episode is in particular is a is a bit chilling uh, in a literal sense and a figurative sense, like like I said, when she's walking down the down the hallway toward the morgue it's just it's cold like it feels just like you get this uh this feeling when she's walking down down the hallway that it's just it just feels wrong and ominous and then you get the end of the episode where the plane explodes and everything and it's just like that's that's frightening that's that's horrifying um yeah it's just um i don't know and it's it's interesting that the, that the whole kind of concept of the episode is that she was being warned by some supernatural entity by the Twilight Zone itself. Like, that's cool. I, I like that. I'm, um, and, and I think that that resonates with people because kind of the idea that some otherworldly force may be trying to warn us of doom is a pretty pervasive concept in our cultural culture, particularly like it kind of hits close to home to me because my mom in particular is extremely superstitious. Like there are just things that she like, uh, like the most, the smallest things, like anytime she's in a situation where, um, where like a choice that she makes a choice that she made, uh, affected the outcome in a surprising way. Like even if it's a minuscule, non-effectual thing. So like her kind of go-to phrase is like, you know, something told me, something told me I should put my keys in that pocket or something like, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know, but growing up and seeing that kind of made it like, it made it kind of transfer to me a bit in my youth. Like I, like when I was a kid, I was like all about that um kind of this ominous spiritual force like guiding me I I don't believe that now I'm kind of more of an agnostic kind of person um but when I was a kid I was all like oh is that a connection is that is that like a double meaning is that like the universe trying to tell me something um I was never religious I just kind of had that kind of spiritual thing um and kind of an interesting anecdote to that is that <laughs> to connect it back to final destination uh when I was a kid uh, my mom actually took me to the theater to see that movie. <laughs> and, uh, I can't remember what year that came out. I was like 99. I was like, uh, 13, 14. Uh, I was probably like 12 or 13. And she took me to see Final Destination. And on the way there to the theater, uh, we actually, uh, were next in line to make a left turn onto a busy street. And the person in front of us drove into the street to make her left hand turn and just got just t-boned and like her car flipped over and stuff and it was like like in my head i was like i'm about to see final destination i just escaped death like the lady didn't die she was she was fine and we stayed and helped her and everything and helped her out of the car but anyway uh that's just a ridiculous anecdote from my life so i mean that's the episode it's okay it's pretty it's pretty solid um it has some really good tonal kind of Moody kind of, uh, a, a very specific tone and moody atmosphere to it, um, that I really appreciated. And we're at probably what, what is this, like the fourth or fifth, um, videotaped episode? I, it doesn't look great, but I don't mind it. It's, I know that it's only like six episodes in the entire run of the series, so I'm not sweating it or anything. Um, it wasn't distracting here, and like I said, it didn't really hamper the, uh, the eerie feeling I got when she was walking down the hallway in the, in the dream sequences, so I appreciate the, the episode for that. Um, is it an episode that I'll probably, revisit or or want to revisit or or I don't know if it'll stand out when I finish watching all 156 episodes of this of this series but it in the moment it was pretty uh pretty okay and pretty pretty solid I thought um so trivia for this episode and this isn't really trivia. This is more conjecture. And it's pointless because this episode is actually going to go up after the new Twilight Zone starts. But it's interesting because judging from the trailer from the new Twilight Zone, um, and you'll be able to listen to me talk about this, um, it kind of looks like the Nightmare at 20,000 feet remake, um, which is in this, in this iteration, it's a Nightmare at 30,000 feet. Um, it kind of feels like that might borrow from this episode a little bit because in the trailer I saw that Adam Scott is referencing like, oh, he sees this number all the time. Like sees this number in every uh uh everywhere and it's kind of an interesting um thing. So that's an that's an interesting indicator that maybe they're gonna meld together some episodes instead of outright remaking them. Um so that's interesting. So a couple other pieces of trivia is that Arlene Martel, uh credited here as Arlene Sachs, uh she plays the nurse uh in the morgue who taunts Liz Pal. And oh, this is already stuff that I brought up. Um, so moving on for trivia, I, the really the only other thing I really have for this is that Barbara Nichols uh, actually accidentally fell when she was running down the airplane stairs and back onto the runway, ru- the runway. The runway um, and although it was it wasn't in the script or anything. Uh, the director loved it and kept the shot in the episode. And I thought that it was impressive that she stuck, st- stuck through the take. Cause she just, she gets up and she runs and she's still screaming and everything. And I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. And you know, I think that'll about do it for this episode of anthology guys. Um, let me know what you thought of 22 and of my review of it and everything. Um, of course, as always, if you like what you've heard and you want to help support the show, the easiest and best way to do that, uh, well, not easy, uh, not best way, but <laughs> the easiest way to do that is by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, it's really appreciated. It only takes a couple minutes. And you can also donate to the podcast if you're feeling particularly generous. Uh, you can donate to the podcast through PayPal by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. And then you can also become a Patreon supporter, which is just monthly recurring, uh, payments to me, um, uh, every month, minimum of $1 if you want to support the show that way, uh, that'll get you access to a specific RSS feed that's specifically for, um, Patreon supporters, it gives you, uh, uh, special recordings that we record across all of Obsessive Viewer podcasts uh, for our Patreon supporters. So that'll get you access to kind of a little bonus, like 10, 15 minute recording almost every time that we we release an episode. It's it's a lot of fun. It's kind of fun, laid back kind of thing. Uh, once again, you can do that at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And next time on the podcast, I'm going to continue my bonus review series of the new Twilight Zone, Um, I'm recording this before that episode or the, the series starts. So God, I hope it's good. Um, it looks like it's going to be so much fun. So, um, hope you guys are enjoying those reviews and I hope you guys are letting me know what you think of the new twilight zone. Um, I am so thrilled to be in a position where I'm going to be talking about the twilight zone as a first time viewer to first time viewers of the twilight zone. I like, I'm so tickled by that. Um, yeah, but next time on the main feed of the podcast, we're going to do episode 51, which is going to be the Odyssey of Flight 33, which is episode 17 of the Twilight Zone's second season. Nope, it's actually episode 18. I did not update my notes on that. <laughs> um, episode 18 of the Twilight Zone's second season. Um, I'm excited to talk about that just because... I, my imagination ran with that episode. I'm, I'm pretty pumped to talk about it. Like the episode itself. I, I don't know how much I necessarily connected with it, but it got my imagination running quite a bit. So can't wait to talk to you guys about that. Once again, let me know what you thought of this episode and of the podcast and everything and, you know, reach out. It's fun to hear from you guys. Uh, thank you once again for listening to the podcast and supporting me. And I will see you next time. And, yeah, thank you. And now, here's a clip from a recent episode of The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast from ObsessiveViewer.com. In my head, when, like, she goes underground and, like, they're fighting and everything, like, in my head, I was saying, like, I'm the Underminer <laughs> 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 from Incredible. <God>, I know. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, like, that was, like, it was like and, 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 and those
0: comes. like the the enemies they're imposing man. oh they, yeah they're very well done mm-hmm. just menacing anthology is edited and produced by matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com for a full archive of our episodes go to anthologypod.com slash archive you can also like the facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on twitter at ov anthologypod if you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at TeePublic.com. For information about The Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash as good as it gets banned. You can also find as good as it gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.